you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Marcus. Howdy, gentlemen. What do you got for me today? Something fun? Something that's going to make me giddy up? Something cowboy-themed, I hoped? Cowboy-themed? That would fit, considering it's Christmas. Yeah! Happy <laughs> holidays, boys and girls! Oh, yep, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, because what what else do you have going on today? Come on. Not a damn thing. Not a <laughs> Dang thing! It's Christmas. No, I hope you all have an. If you celebrate, hope you're having a lovely holiday with your fam, your friends, or whoever you're with. And I love you. Or maybe just these strangers in this car. I don't know. Oh yeah, maybe you might be in a, on a strange road trip with people that you don't know all that well, like the character in today's property, like <gasps> a cattle haul. It's driving. You're some cattle. still stuck on this whole cattle thing, and I don't know where it's coming Yeehaw. from. Oh, man. You've never been on a farm in your life. <laughs> I, I have. Thank you very much. Oh. It's uh, on a farm once. You, that's yep. great. Good to know. There were and cats. We're mo- yep. Hey. Also <laughs> that, like that today's property. Yeah. That's very apropos of today's property. So today, Marcus, we're going to be pitching to you a graphic novel by Ooh. one of the Two Jackets shared favorite creators. Brian Brian Leo Malley. Blom Brian. I yeah, I, I had to I already messed it up, but I love Blom. Good old Radio Maru himself. His first graphic novel, which Marcus somehow has not read, called Lost at Sea. Yeah, how have you not read this? That's insane. You know, the, like the for... funny thing is it's on my shelf. <laughs> I just <laughs> You own it. <laughs> I, I own it because I love Brian Lee O'Malley. It'll, it'll take you literally an hour to read. Probably somehow, less. Yeah. It's it's the nice hardcover one, too. It sits next to my Color Scott Pilgrims. Look at that. And I will read it. But fortunately, I haven't because now I get to write about these awesome cowboys in Lost at Sea. I'm very <laughs> excited. You're still on the cowboy Giddy thing. Up. Nothing to do. Giddy oh. Incorrect. Incorrect. <laughs> uh... So yeah, as we've as we've touched here, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, the one of the the key reasons we love Mr. O'Malley is that the three of us are huge Scott Pilgrim fans, and whether he's versing of, the universe, the world, or just having his finest hour, we love. He him. might just be getting it together, you know. Uh, or whatever, what about sadness? Infinite sadness, yeah. Come on, yep, yep, and, and his precious little life. There we you love go. It. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and free comic book day. Oh, oh gosh, yep, all of them, just nailed them all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But big fans of that property and his uh, most recent graphic novel, Seconds, which is also lovely. Oh, I love Seconds. All of them, if you have not read anything by Mr. O'Malley, check it out. And also, rethink your life. (laughs) No, Eric, come on. Let's let's just tell these people, it's a a wonderful gift, a Christmas miracle. (laughs) You know, we they'll 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 be able, we give them the gift of telling them to read something. <laughs> yeah, feel dig. Um, so, like a newborn calf on the range. Yes, <laughs> seriously. Okay. Yep. All them dirty details. You you you've never been. I'm, I'm even, questioning that you've ever been to a farm. You know, Andrew, I feel like uh, we don't even need to tell Marcus anything about this because he's already got it. He's already got this figured out. I think he knows what he's gonna write. Let's just let him go off. Yep. My I, horse. Seriously. My horse done kicked a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand where this is coming from. <laughs> I'm really lost right now. <laughs> at sea, maybe. Hey. Oh, yay! All right, All tell right. Let's, so let's get into it. Lost at Sea came out in 2003, 13 years ago, when Mr. O'Malley was only 
<laughs> only 24 years old, as it says at the back of this book. Wow. This guy was the mere baby Brian. And he wrote he wrote this book, which is fantastic. And this is a coming of age story, a road trip story. It follows a recent high school graduate named Raleigh, like the city in North Carolina. Raleigh. 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 Go with Raleigh. It's Raleigh, and (laughs) Raleigh, and I just like saying it like that. Uh, But it's Raleigh, like the city in North Carolina. And Raleigh finds herself in a car. On a road trip between Berkeley, California, and Vancouver, British Columbia, with these three classmates that she doesn't really know all that well. She was in Berkeley visiting a boy Ooh. that she met online, and she Farmers missed her train. Got it. <laughs> this is and, before then. Yeah. Okay. She, um, and she missed her train. And out of the blue, she gets this phone call from one of these classmates that she hardly knows, and they're somehow in the Bay Area. And so she hops into the car with them, and they're all heading home together. And so this book takes place in transit. It's a, it's, it's, they're on the highway. These four, there's four kids, so all the seats are taken. Nobody's riding in the middle, in the back seat. So it's, 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 there's room to spare in the car. <laughs> Room for snacks. And uh, while on the road, the, f- the, the graphic novel is told from Riley's perspective. We get uh, a lot of her memories, her thoughts, and the book is very contemplative as they're on the road. And she is, it, it flashes back and forth between the present with Raleigh with these kids and her past her like memories and so the book just you know it has this feel of being on the road when you're young it's like it's like you're she's sitting in this car and they're going through just open country long stretches of time and she's just like writing in a journal all her thoughts that are coming to her head about everything that's been going on is she literally writing uh it feels like it okay she's not like that is just thinking it Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the narration that you get. Gotcha. Yeah. So, we'll talk a bit about these characters. So, there are four of them. And Raleigh is a very intelligent girl. She is intellectually gifted. One of the key memories that she has from her past is when she was very young, she was placed placed in a gifted program and separated from the mundanes. (laughs) Um, and she blames that for like a a lot of how she screwed up like basically being told that she's special and then realizing when she gets to high school that she's not as special as she thought she was because of that class that sort of thing so raleigh she doesn't talk much for as much as we hear her thoughts in this book and there are like long paragraphs of her dwelling on her memories in terms of actually speaking she speaks very little Okay. And when she does open her mouth, she if she's very uncomfortable, it's just lots of ums and likes and I don't knows. But every once in a while, when she speaks without thinking, she really says something great. You know, she can cut to the point of a situation and say something that makes all her friends laugh or go, oh, yeah. You know, when she doesn't get in her own way, she is really articulate and and clever but she's that that's less often than when she was is just mumbling and unable to speak and she is this tall blonde pretty girl but she doesn't but she doesn't know it no she's completely uncomfortable in her own skin she uh is very closed off and doesn't really think about too much uh of her own appearance yeah and she's our viewpoint character Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have uh, Steph, the only other girl in the car. Um, Steph is this like kind of manic, um, just kind of like off the wall sort of crazy character. You know, she smokes. Who smokes? Uh, she's <laughs> it's like evil. She, she doesn't take crap from the from the other guys in the car. Uh, is she dating one of them? I don't remember. No, no, no she's not. Okay. 
Um, and she's just kind of like down for any adventure. She's not, she's like one of those, uh, the types of people who like, they don't necessarily plan. They don't need a plan going forward. They're just going to jump in and have an adventure. Um, she's, uh, try, how else would you describe Steph? She's just so, she's, she's the just sort of person wild. that kind of just says what she means. And again, like he said, doesn't take crap from the other guys they're in the car with, but she's incredibly compassionate. And she is, like, that down-for-anything attitude is in her favor in that while Raleigh doesn't open up and is very hesitant towards things, Steph is is there for her and wants to listen and wants to help her open up. So she wants everybody to have a good time. Yeah, and a cool dynamic there is, like, and mind you, Raleigh is not friends with these people before she gets in the car with them. Right. She like, knew them from school. Yeah, yeah, but like was never friends. So, yeah. but this relationship sort of like starts to develop in this story. And Steph and Raleigh, like y- you learn that Steph really looks up to Raleigh in a way that Raleigh doesn't expect. Oh, cool. Because she finds Steph finds Raleigh like cool and composed and and pretty and just looks up to her in every way, uh, which blows Raleigh's mind. And Steph was what who kicked this off. She, on a whim, found Raleigh's name in one of the guys' phones and just called her out of the blue, and Raleigh picked up and... I believe it was actually an accidental dial. Was that what it was? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And saw her name in the phone, accidentally called, and then, oops, wait, you're in Berkeley? What? And she ended up on this road trip. Yeah. What a crazy random happenstance. Totally. Yep. All right. So, our third member of the crew is Dave. Dave also smokes a lot. Is this evil? I don't know. He must be evil. Only evil people smoke. Yeah, according to Scott Pilgrim. Uh-huh. Uh, Dave and just the boys in general don't have as much to them. They're just kind of the boys. You know, Raleigh doesn't spend as much time with them as she does with Steph. Yeah, they because act like they, boys, you know, they, they when something happens with the car, they'll open the hood and look at it as if they know how cars work. Mm-hmm. But they don't. But they don't. Dave is the cool guy. He's got dark hair. He always seems very chill. That's kind of his defining feature, is that he is the more chill of the two guys. And he's the guy that usually has this, and he, he's the guy with the cigarettes, so when Steph wants to smoke, she talks to Dave. Yeah, he's he's the most aloof of them, I think. Yeah. Like, and well, he, Raleigh's the most aloof, but he's the cool guy. Yeah. And he's the navigator, even though he's not really doing his job. Oh, he man. Sits, he sits shotgun and doesn't really navigate. This is, like, before everybody had a magical GPS, like, in their phone, you know, and they can just navigate. So this trip from Berkeley to Vancouver is not a straight line. They're all over the place. I feel like they're going in circles. It's like a never-ending road trip. It lasts days and days and days. So apparently Dave sucks at his job. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, so that's a good point. This is set like it was written in 2003, so there's many mentions of, put in that CD. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, play. don't play that CD. Let's play this CD, which is very strange. Yeah. Who, who's got time for that? <laughs> Hey, I, I, right. I still have friends who listen to CDs in the car. It's I normal. just have it's my fine. plum tree cassette. That's all. <laughs> oh, plum tree. All I need. There is, there is, because this is uh, Blom, there is a mention of, uh, uh, there's Sloan lyrics at one point that Stephanie just breaks out into Sloan uh, lyrics. Another favorite band of Blom's. Yeah, they also mentioned Jeff Tweedy, so apparently mm-hmm. we got some Wilco references happening. Yeah. Before it was cool. Before it was cool. All right. Last person in the car, Eric. It's Ian. So Ian is the driver. Um, he is, uh, he's kind of, he's less chill than Dave, um, but he's the sort of guy who's, he kind of needs to be in control. He needs to have a plan when things aren't going the way he expects. He gets angry. You know, he gets frustrated very easily. Um, so like he seems like a fun cool guy but then he also has this other side of him where he just like is grumpy and is like damn everything everything is terrible yeah he doesn't react well to change and things that he doesn't understand yeah less chill bam and yep, that's there it uh is. wouldn't it be happy, chill guy wouldn't be happy if someone spooked the cattle that's what i'm getting out of the end 
You yep. got it. Yep. If he had ever been to a farm, which mm-hmm. she probably hasn't. And of course, the <laughs> the fifth character yeah. of this of this piece, cats. 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 Just cats in general. There are cats everywhere. So this thing that's on Raleigh's mind throughout this book is that she believes herself to have lost her soul okay. when she was younger. And like literally lost her soul. Yeah. Like her soul is gone. And the way she explains it is that her mom sold it to the devil and the devil put it in a cat. And so these cats are constantly following her. She sees cats everywhere in her (laughs) dreams, in her life. And she believes that one of these cats is holding her soul. And if she looks at a cat, she'll just, if she looks at the right cat, she'll see her soul and she'll get her soul back. This right. is completely crazy, and she knows it, but it's just this way that she explains it to herself that is kind of bizarre. So they're they're driving through Northern California, as they seem to be doing through this entire book. Northern California never ends. Yeah, uh, apparently. And they pass through this town, and the car breaks down. But of course, it's a Sunday, so the, the, the mechanics, are, the shops are all closed. And they the can't Chick-fil-A. get the car fixed. Mm. They're stuck in this town. They end up at like a motel, and uh, you know they're they're eating at the local diner and everything. And Raleigh gets this really strong inkling that she's been there before, because she's taken this trip many times from Berkeley to Vancouver. Uh, her mom uh, lives in Vancouver. She's heading home for this story, uh, but her mom is is very successful now. She has a lot of money. She's doing well, but she wasn't always doing well. And Raleigh starts to suspect that maybe even when they were passing through this very town that they're in, that maybe that was where, when she was younger, her mom sold her soul. Ah. She for sees, success. Yeah. yeah. For, and then and that's why she's, like, successful now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, they're at this restaurant, and there's this picture, like, pictures all over the walls, like, uh, Polaroids, like, stuck to the wall. And there's one that looks, like, exactly like Raleigh looked when she was, like, 14 or 12 or whatever. And it's really eerie. And it's like, is this me? What, did I come through this town? What's going on? And there are just cats everywhere in this town. All so, sorts of cats running about. Yeah. So uh, just like the farm. Nailed so it. she's <sighs> like, is one of these cats has to be has to hold my soul, basically, and this becomes kind of a very strange obsession for her. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the structure of this story jumps back and forth between the present in the car on the trip with Raleigh and the kids. And then jumps back to memories in Raleigh uh, of Raleigh, specifically of Raleigh, in the past. And it's told in this very stream-of-consciousness way, because we dabble in all these different points in Raleigh's life that she dwells on. And you get the idea that she spends so much time contemplating her past that she doesn't stay in the present and when she does let her guard down and be in the present, she's successful, but it's really difficult for her to do so because she always has these past things on her mind. So, yeah, so the book just kind of jumps back and forth between these things, and that's the structure of it. Mm-hmm. And the things that are on her mind, since Eric just mentioned this, um, her mom and dad are divorced. Mom lives in Vancouver. Dad lives in Los Angeles. And... So she's, like Eric said, just has gone back and forth between these places a lot. So she's been on this track before. And her parents are kind of petty towards each other, so it's not a positive relationship post-divorce. Nothing like that. Um, she's dwelling on the guy that she met online that she met in Berkeley. Uh, his name is Stillman, which is a very strange name, but that is his name. He's a college guy. So Raleigh, I think we mentioned, is just out of high school. This is like the summer after she's graduated high school. Okay. Are her classmates uh, the same year? Yep. Yeah. Yep, they're all the same age. So she's thinking about this guy. She's thinking about that gifted 
program that she was in, she dwells a lot on how that screwed up her life. And she also thinks about this best friend she had when she was younger who moved away from her. What's the best friend's name? I don't remember. Oh, man, I don't either. That's why I asked you. Yeah, I don't know. There was a best friend. There was a best friend. We actually, like, we learn names kind of at arbitrary points in this. Like, she doesn't just bring up names all the time. There you go. So how did the the meeting with Stillman go? Well. Really well, yes. Yeah, no, there is, um, basically, she, she, she says it was perfect. You know, it was... She went down blind, you know, having talked to this guy a lot online and didn't really know how it was going to be, but it ended up being, like, perfect. So much so that she is, I think, maybe wanting too much from that. Um, She's really freaked out because right before she left, uh, or right when she was leaving, when she was about to get on the train, she found that he had stashed a letter in her bag. Like, he wrote her a letter, put it in an envelope, stuck it in her bag. And she is so terrified that it is going to be a letter that basically says, hey, this was fun, but I'm not interested. Something along those lines, like, hey, I don't want to be with you, that she has not opened it. Oh, wow. And she was so upset by this possibility and this horrible gift of this letter that she missed her train. That's why she didn't get on the train. Oh, okay. Because she was basically sobbing to herself about that. This is, uh, yeah. And of course, this is stuff she hasn't isn't telling anybody. This is stuff she's keeping on the inside. She hasn't told the rest of the people she's traveling with that this is why she missed the train. Gotcha. Secrets. Secrets. Yeah. Cool. So, this story, and I'm this, I'm going to tie this into bonus points. So, my favorite element of this story is the road trip feel of it. This aimless driving, wandering feel. Um, the setting of this, I, I just adore because it's something that I love. You know, interstate America is what I call it. Rest stops, diners, motels, not hotels, motels, you know, places that you can, these kids can get a room with two double beds and spend, you know, 40 bucks on a room per night. And you know, you know, just, you know what they say? Motel, mo problems. Yep. You got it gas stations so that's the world of this story wild west nope (laughs) (laughs) well in a way it's definitely about as west as you can get uh but it's a little different than that so my bonus point to you is to make me feel like i'm on a road trip i want you to really nail that feeling it's a good one cool i like that um and uh my bonus point Marcus, mm-hmm. um, because this is Brian Lee O'Malley and you've read his other works, you know that there's always this sort of hyper reality in these works. So like with Scott Pilgrim, it's that, you know, he's has to fight these seven evil ex-boyfriends like a video game, exes. you know, exes. Thank you. And whenever <laughs> he defeats one of these exes, you know, they'll explode in a bunch of coins and, you know, very, very video game. And in seconds, she eats a mushroom and can you know, go back in time. And th- these sorts of strange hyper-reality elements, I want you to add something like that to this story. Just get beyond the reality of your story. Have something that is fantastical or video game-inspired or just weird in a blom sort of way. Yeah, it could be like a little magical realism. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Sweet deal, yeah. Um, yeah that's a good point, Eric, because even though this story doesn't go too far in that direction the way seconds and scott pilgrim does since this is blom like this is the time to do it yeah Yeah. this is the time to do it so it's like there is there are some of those little elements in this story but it is mostly in raleigh's own head and she she understands that the things with the cats you know that is very much the a strange thing like in this (laughs) story they're they're basically they're chasing cats they're grabbing cats they're looking the cats in the eyes like no this isn't the one with my soul and that's a big part of it you know like these these kids all go with it which is fantastic so i think it's it's really close to that same sort of level of fantastical realism um but we might as well just you know play with it a little bit so give me a little flavor yeah well you'd think rustling cats would be easy after rustling cattle it's not it's not yeah Tell me more about this. 
in, see, de- in detail. Tell had, me your experiences. They both had the same number of legs most of the time. Four. <laughs> most of the time, yep, yep. And, uh, yeehaw. It's, uh, hee-haw. <laughs> okay. Uh, sure. Blazing Saddles. So, which one do you milk? Do you milk the cat or do you milk the cow? Uh, I would prefer to milk the cow. That would be yep. how I'd do it. So yep, America that sounds about it. right. It's worked out pretty, pretty well, well so, so far. far. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, All right. Enough with this nonsense. <laughs> right. Any other questions, sir, before we let you go no, to write? Set me adrift. I'm ready to be lost at sea. Oh, let us get lost with you. So, awesome. This is going to be fun. So, have a good time. Enjoy it. And we look forward to taking a trip with you when you come back. All righty. Giddy up, partners. Hey, folks, we'd like to make a quick request. If you enjoy the podcast, please support us by subscribing and get a new episode for free every Sunday. While you're at it, you might consider rating us as well. We like positive reviews, so if you have something nice to say, please say it. If you don't like the show, well, pretend you're writing a sham fiction of a positive review and get yourself a little writing exercise out of it. Sounds like fun. All right, thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. Yo, Eric. Yo. 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 Yo, yo. Yo, hey, dog. Yo, man. What do you think Marcus is doing while he's, you know, drifting on the highway, lost at the proverbial sea? The uh, the thing that I keep thinking about when I'm imagining what Marcus writing Lost at Sea is like is that he doesn't really like animals. Uh, <laughs> and this is a this is a story that relies very heavily on the use of cats. Lots of cats. Lots and of them. So I think so to me it's like I've seen Marcus in the presence of an animal before usually instead of like the oh look at how cute I want to touch it and make it my best friend forever and cuddle its face like a normal person might react a normal person without allergies mind you yes I mean I have allergies I'm still the same way uh but Marcus he reacts more like oh gosh that's a living creature with a mind of its own that's terrifying (laughs) One might say he respects them more because he fears them. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So I kind of expect that to to, to come across in his writing because he's. Okay. He, I hope he has cats. He better have cats in this. And I hope that the attitude of the characters, or maybe the attitude of the prose, reflects that respect slash fear in some way. Interesting. All right. So a Marcus, heavily Marcus perspective in terms of the animals. Yes. I don't okay. know what form that's going to take, but I think it's going to be in there. Okay. And if he does, he'll get some extra bonus points from me. All right. If it happens, you'll likely have to describe what what it is because I'll, the, the listeners aren't going to know what that means necessarily. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Um, How about you? I am going to bounce off your normal bonus point a bit, which involves some hyper-reality Blom style. Mm-hmm. And just take it a step further and say that there are going to be at least three Scott Pilgrim references in oh, this piece. Yeah, that he that's just, good. He just straight pulls like just, even if it's just the tiniest of jokes from Scott Pilgrim, because the three of us are all very, very big Scott Pilgrim fans. We know these books back to front, front to back, line by line pretty much we know all the most minute references from these books so even if he pulls a pretty deep cut i think i'll be able to recognize it sure maybe there'll be some references in there too if a character's life had a face perhaps somebody would punch it or maybe about how bread makes you fat or how in high school i went to a party that was about canadian politics circa 1973 but secretly you're batman that would be a good deep cut i like it yeah let's check it out Let's see what he has written while being lost at sea. Yeehaw, cowboys, I'm back from writing my story. (laughs) I forgot about this. Just when I thought I had forgotten, you (sighs) remind me and make me so mad. Uh, (laughs) Ah, that's all right there, partner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's my favorite thing. If there uh, are 
If there are any references to cowpoke or the country life in your story, no points. None. <laughs> oh, you'll get you'll get double points from me. Oh, I oh, can't say. For it. I can't Cancels say. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> that was the cowboy's first rule on the range. Oh no gosh, spoilers. just read your damn story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, I am here to read Lost at Sea by Brian Lee O'Malley by Marcus Mann. All right. His eyes are a calm sea she could fall into and never want to breach the surface again. They look at her with the power to make her feel whole. His smile shapes the words he speaks into music that reverberates in the soul she thought was missing. His warm hand runs through her hair, and for the first time in her life, she's glad of its length and shine. It's something they can share. Something she can add to the perfection embodied in the man opposite her. It's even better knowing that that's not why he cares for her. He fell for her before they even met, as she fell for him. But now she cannot disconnect from the melody of his words. How can she ever go back home? What is she outside of this moment? I love you. The words force themselves from her lips without consulting her brain. As they wash over him, the sea in his eyes begins to roil. He speaks as a shrieking symphony. Didn't you read my letter? His dark eyes spill out into the world and she is lost in the waves, gasping for breath, her lungs filling with gulps of her own naivety. A train barrels down on her through the ocean. The world goes black. Raleigh! Ian shouted. This would be a lot easier if you'd get out of the car. Relax, Steph said. She was getting some shut-eye. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'll just, um... Raleigh blinked as her eyes adjusted to the California sun. She unbuckled her seatbelt, which had bit a line into her side, the side of her face as she slept. When she stepped out of the car, she saw Dan smoking a cigarette as he considered an X-shaped wrench. He offered her a smoke when she caught his eye, which Steph was quick to take and light for herself. You must have been having a nice dream not to wake up when we got that flat. Stuck on that guy again? Something stills, right? Stillson? Hmm. Stillman, <laughs> Raleigh said. Wish he was driving instead of Ian. That flat scared me half to death, and his shouting brought me another quarter of the way. Smoke? You don't even know him. The way you look off when you talk about him tells me he's not the yelling type. Not in front of Raleigh! Mom's yells are as loud as Dad's, if only a higher pitch. Sweetheart, you should go to your room. Why should she be punished because you can't control your temper? Oh, she's the one being punished? Dad's baritone echoes through the house. The angry duet continues. She's halfway up the stairs before they notice she's gone. The next call is loud, but only so it will reach her. The sharp edges have been rounded off by exhaustion. We're sorry, sweetie. Please come back down. We'll go to dinner. She hesitates on the staircase. Dinner in public just means quiet arguments. Where's the nearest diner? Ian asked. Changing a tire is hungry work. Raleigh didn't even remember getting back in the car so she was glad she wasn't the one navigating. There's a town about a thumb down the road. Cottonville, <laughs> Dave said, running his hand over the map. And how far is that? Ian said. His voice cracked a little as he tried to control it. Dave placed his thumb on the map's key. Looks like about 50 miles or kilometers. Same idea. They're not the same. <laughs> Steph, will you take a look at the map? She's sleeping, Raleigh said quietly. She noticed that Steph had fallen asleep on her shoulder. She wasn't used to anyone being that comfortable around her, and she didn't make an effort to extricate herself. She actually felt protective, in a way. Great, Ian said. Well, can you... Cottonville is 32 miles from here. How did you know that? She said she's done this drive before plenty of times, Dave said. He rolled down the window and lit a cigarette. So what? She knows the distance to every town from every place along the path? Dave took a long, thoughtful drag before saying, Obviously. <laughs> there was a sign while you were fighting, Raleigh said. She wasn't sure if they heard her. Well, what music do you have, Ian asked. I've got some plum tree, Dave said, and he loaded <laughs> yeah. up the CD. This CD is going to change your life. Mr. O'Malley is so excited that she doesn't bring up the question of if you can really call it a life without a soul. America Online? She examines the disc. Will this work in Canada? <laughs> O'Malley snatches the disc back from her. 
It's the World Wide Web, Raleigh. Worldwide. Canada is part of the world. <laughs> Why is this going to change my life? You're smarter than everyone else in this place, kiddo. You need access to more information than the school can give you day to day. You take this home and you learn. Raleigh takes the CD back from Mr. O'Malley. It feels heavier now. What can I learn about? Math, science, music, arts, you name it. Just don't talk to any boys online. I could lose my license. <laughs> Who proudly displays a C-plus food inspector placard on their restaurant? Ian asked. The question was an open inquiry. But Raleigh noticed it was accompanied by a sidelong glance at Dave, who had picked up the place. Who had picked the place. A C is a pass. They're licensed to operate, Steph said. Yeah, but how can they lose so many points in a town this small? Why don't you ask them, Dave said. Ooh, maybe it's a C for cats. We can find your soul, Rawls. <laughs> Steph was much more enthusiastic after her, her nap. Nothing could face her when she was at 100%. Maybe it's a C because they serve cats, Ian said. Hmm. But he opened the door and let Raleigh, Steph, and Dave walk through. Well, this is spooky, Raleigh said. The diner looked identical to the one they had visited when they had had car troubles a couple days ago. The air smelled of the same grease, the floor had the same stained checkered black and white tiles, the bar had the same brash finishes, and the same red vinyl had the same yellow stuffing poking through its cracks in the same booths. There were pictures on the wall, but Raleigh was afraid to see if they were the same as well. Could this have been the diner where she lost her soul? Yeah, creepy, Steph said with a bright smile. <laughs> it's like every diner exterior leads to the same diner interior. <laughs> Maybe we could use this to get home faster. Do you know any good diners in Vancouver? Um, Steph? Maybe we should just get you some food, Ian said. Oh yeah, that works too. They sat at a booth that felt too familiar, and Raleigh tried not to hear her parents arguing from the past. She buried her face in a menu to avoid looking at the photos on the wall, afraid she would see a picture of herself when she was a child, when her parents told her they were getting a divorce, when her mom had sold her daughter's soul for success, and the devil had tied it to a cat, when Mr. O'Malley introduced her to the internet and she felt free for the first time in years. Those were her memories. She owned them yet she was afraid they would be as public as if someone had pinned Stillman's letter to the wall. The ocean pulls her deeper, and she sees figures shining in red in the depths. They beckon to her. They reach for her. They... No! No. No, she would not sink into that again. She was here with... Friends? Classmates? Steph said she wanted to be a friend. Steph... Steph was asking her a question. What are you getting, Rawls? Raleigh had never liked nicknames before, but she found herself smiling whenever she heard this one. I want to get whatever you're getting. You always look amazing, and I could stand to lose some weight. I, uh, well, um, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever seen Raleigh eat anything. Maybe that's how she's so skinny, Ian said, talking about her like she wasn't even there. They had shared meals before on this trip. Maybe she only eats bread, Dave offered. <laughs> I don't I just um, That wouldn't work Ian said Why not? Dave asked <laughs> Bread makes you fat <laughs> The figures grow larger As she plummets into the deep sea Contorted marionettes of her parents Her teacher and now her companions With joints and eyes Made of fiery light jeer at her A voice cuts through the water As a red dot appears below her it beckons her as it grows larger, though she cannot make out its shape. You're fat and worthless. Why would I ever come back to you? You think you're smart, but you can't even speak. Your parents don't love you. You can't tell the people you're with were never your friends. The boy won't want you. You'll die alone and without me. She recognizes her soul, shaped as a cat made of flames, just as she recognizes that what it's saying is true. She is worthless. She was foolish to think she had friends, foolish to think Stilson could love her. She may never see those eyes again, but if she makes it out, she'll burn his letter. She'll change her number and steal her one good memory of him. With his words of fire, he'll never be able to take them back. Earth to Rawls! Come back, Rawls! Steph's voice, her real voice, brought Raleigh back into the diner. She couldn't find any words to speak, but Steph had plenty. 
I found another photo of you on the wall. How weird is that? Look. Mm. Raleigh didn't want to look. She stood up and rushed outside. She didn't want to be around any of these people anymore. She felt like a fool. She'd find her own way home. She always had. When she looked around, she realized that Cottonville wasn't the height of civilization. She wondered if there would even be an encyclopedia entry on the town. She grabbed her bag from the trunk, then walked down a gravel path away from their car. The moon lit the way enough for her not to trip. The sound of her feet dragging on the ground pierced the crisp air as she walked. Suddenly, she saw a figure running along a wooden fence in front of her. A black cat silhouetted in moonlight. It stopped, and so did she. The scraping of the gravel did not. You okay, Rawls? It was Steph's voice, but Raleigh didn't turn around to look at her. It's Raleigh. Oh, right. Sorry, Steph said. Do you have your lighter? You don't smoke. Do you have it? Raleigh said again. Yeah, here you go, um, Raleigh, Steph said. And she placed the lighter in Raleigh's hand. Raleigh took it without a word and opened her bag to find the letter. She pulled it free and ignited the lighter. She was going to burn all ties to Stillman so he couldn't ruin the good memories like her friends had. He couldn't betray her like her parents. But as she moved the flame towards the envelope, she hesitated. Something wasn't right. The silence. Aren't you going to ask me what I'm doing? Raleigh asked, still not meeting Steph's eyes. I wasn't planning on it. Well, aren't you curious as to why I'm burning a letter? Sure I am. So, why aren't you going to ask me about it? Because it's clearly important to you. And if you wanted me to know, you'd tell me. It's the same reason I haven't asked about why you missed your train. You're never late for anything. Oh, Raleigh said. She looked at the lighter and the letter, then let the flame die. There were tears in her eyes when she turned back to Steph. Thanks. Anytime, Raleigh, Steph said. What are friends for? Steph, Raleigh said. Yeah? Can you call me Rawls? <laughs> the figures of flame shrink away as she rises to the surface. The last she sees of them is the smoke as they're extinguished. The cat has no voice, no power as she ascends. She breaks into the open air and finds his eyes staring at her once more. His beautiful eyes that had prevented her from seeing anything else around her. They're still beautiful, but now that she is seen beneath them, she knows that they are flawed as well. She pulls her gaze away and smiles at the wall. What are you smiling at? His voice has a subtle harmony once more. Don't you recognize anyone in these pictures? He turns, and his eyes pour over the diner's photo wall. They land on a Polaroid of four kids from Vancouver. I recognize one beautiful girl there, but who are the others? She smiles and feels the music come out of her own lips. My friends. The end. Ah, <laughs> uh, aww. That's cute. It was, huh. it was my, my sham fiction, and it had no cowboy references. Thank you very much. Yeah, so you 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 don't get zero points. <laughs> uh, in fact, I'll even let it out right now. You get my secret bonus points. Ooh. Yep. Which were, I predicted that you would include no less than three Scott Pilgrim references. In Ooh. your piece, and and you did, you did, you included sure did. more than three from what I counted. Did, did you I write them all down? Many? I did. I did. Which, write which them. ones did you get? I mean, I certainly did some. <laughs> some are very subtle, and you know, they're. I, I I still count them as references, including the fact that at some point somebody mentions the word stills rather than Stillman. Oh yeah, yeah. In reference to Stephen Stills, who is a character in that was direct. Yep. Yeah, and then um, even a mention of plum tree, I counted. Yep. Um, all <laughs> diner exteriors lead to the same <laughs> diner interiors. Uh, that's a good one. Which is a second cup reference. Well, Scott thinks that all <laughs> all second cup exteriors lead to the same second cup interior. He has the opposite <laughs> realization. Uh, and then, uh, and then the bread makes you fat. Which, Which was one we explicitly predicted beforehand would appear. <laughs> and, of course, I did name her teacher Mr. O'Malley. That is a yes. good one as well. Which is, yes. you know, just general O'Malley reference. He's written mm-hmm. both of these. He sure has. 
So anyway, we'll start there and say, good on ya. You yeah, get those. I'm predictable. After 50 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> Nailed it. There is some really good stuff in this, man. Um, I was especially taken by the opening of it, because that dream sequence feels very similar to something that we would see in the book. It has this um, contemplative feel, you know, this uh, dream. Like, Stillman is treated as, like, this dream guy throughout this piece. You know, he's this ideal uh, boyfriend character that she keeps dwelling on. There's, like, these overlays in the art of the book where you see pieces of Stillman. You see, like, his silhouette. You see his arms or his hands like overlaid over the current action in a very dreamlike manner that shows you that she is in fact thinking about him in the same way that you describe, which is awesome. Cool. Like just really cool. Yeah, good good pull there. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, there's just a lot of things in your piece made me feel the same way that I feel reading this book. So that's impressive, given that you just have this pitch to go off of, and also that O'Malley's other work is very different from this piece. Um, doesn't I don't think he's ever been quite this contemplative since. So, Eric, any initial thoughts before we hear more from Marcus? I mean, just adherence to the assignment is so uh, strong in this um, that you really did take what we told you and turn it into something that resembles the source material uh to a scary degree uh (laughs) it was it was fun because i just was right in there all the characters in my mind were pretty much spot on um i think uh raleigh is a little more dark and serious and scary to her friends i think than in the source material uh but i think it was a good choice um so I'm just kind of thrown, not thrown, but I'm I'm very impressed at how close you got. And, uh, I mean, that has nothing to do with the quality of the work, which was excellent, by the way. But that's my first initial reaction. Thanks. So I really want to know, like, how the process went. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I did this one as a free write. I just Aww. just went with it because the biggest thing I took away from you guys was that this was stream of consciousness. I mean, mm-hmm. the biggest thing aside from it being a cowboy western <laughs> was that it was stream of consciousness. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just let that flow. Um, I didn't know exactly where we were going to end up. Just had a general idea that there's going to be these moments from her past. And that she's kind of recognizing through her relationships that she needs to be independent. But part of being independent is being able to let people into your life. So it's not the boyfriend has to be this perfect paragon. She can see that he's flawed but still have value in the two of them in a relationship. And the friends don't have to be magic the first time. Mm-hmm. That was the journey I tried to take her on. You know what impresses me, too, is that for a free writing exercise for a first draft, the language and the prose in this is gorgeous. Oh, thanks. It's, the imagery is so strong. You have uh, this amazing sea metaphor. Like You actually took the title, Lost at Sea, and used it in a way a lot more tangibly than O'Malley does in lost at sea like you're actually using the waves and like the pressure of the deep and all these you know ocean metaphors to your advantage and it worked really well for me um and you know ocean metaphors sure they've been done but you books on them but it didn't ever seem like you were regurgitating the same old uh similes that we'd heard before you know you were using them in a way that actually served the story so, good job. Thanks. I was trying to think of those sections very visually. That was just like, how would you make this as a comic? Yeah, you what painted a picture. Cool images there. Yeah. It's fantastic. Thanks. 
Yeah, the uh, the emotion again, like and that lends itself to those emotional beats very well. Um, and tying it into my normal bonus points, which was to make the piece feel, make me feel as if I were on a road trip. Um, I I definitely got that sensation. One of my favorite bits in this is when she notices that Steph has fallen asleep on her shoulder and she says that she feels like protective of her in that moment. Mm -hmm. And there was something about that way of describing it in that moment that I've been there, you know, that person, like those moments on those long drives where you're with these people and you could so easily fall asleep on someone and that person doesn't stop to wake you up and push you off. You know, it's just this, it's this uh, intimacy that's just not, it's not, it, it is kind of forced from just being in close proximity, even if you don't know someone very well. But it's also this kind of like agreed upon thing. Uh, I don't know. It just, it, it, that, that struck me as a very truthful moment. There's a the camaraderie piece. there. Yeah. You know, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. So there was just like the bits like that, but also another... Uh, bit that kind of added this like truth to it was the way that the guys would refer, especially Ian, would refer to Raleigh as if she wasn't there. I thought that was a really great way to characterize how Ian especially was kind of distancing himself from her. Um, perhaps because, you know, she's a girl and he's a guy and he's into her and trying not to, you know, fall into that. But... It just, I don't know, that, that detail seemed to characterize that Ian in a way that struck me as very true. Um, it, was a, it was kind of this, this tick, this way of referencing him that felt very honest and unique. Cool. Thank you. I'm glad you picked up on that. Mm-hmm. So uh, a couple of things, like I'm just going to dive into my uh, bonus points and stuff that I, that I gave you. Um, you didn't get uh my bonus points so the uh i was hoping to see some uh brian leo malley hyper reality um just you know something that kind of brings it into the realm of video game like or movie like or something that is just more than reality and i don't think you quite hit what i was looking for with that yeah um which is fine which is fine, because you wrote a fantastic story that is actually closer to the source material, material than that layer of hyper-reality would have given us. So, this, this is alright. I was trying to push you more towards Scott Pilgrim, and you resisted. <laughs> I did. Put up a wall. Uh, and then my uh, secret bonus points you also didn't hit, um, which was a, uh, a reference to really pulling from your own or what I perceive as your own attitude towards cats, which would be a, a fear and a mistrust and a respect that most of us fear cats so much. I, I, the way I described it was that you respect the fact that it is a living creature with its own brain. And that in itself is kind of scary. So maybe not fear, but like like a fear of God sort of fear. <laughs> uh, but we didn't really see much interaction with the cats, so you didn't get that either. But that's fine. That's fine. You still wrote an excellent piece, despite my stupid ideas not coming forth. <laughs> um, and so, shall I jump to my score? Team. Sure. sure. Do it. All right. So, uh, I this was just all around beautiful so well written i'm very very impressed that this was a free write it matched the source material and even without the source material it was just written so well it was all there you had strong ideas you made strong choices it was dramatic this moment where she gets up and she's overwhelmed by her past and she storms out and she grabs her bag and she's gonna find her own way back to vancouver like i loved that moment and then it all comes crashing together. Her friends come after her, and it's all revealed that they are, in fact, her friends, and she wants them to be her friends. It's just, it's adorable. Come Aww. on. It's too Friendship cute. Friendship is magic. I just learned from Andrew. Ah, uh, yeah. Friendship is magic. <laughs> I don't uh, know these things. And so for all that, 
just the quality of the story told here. I got to give you 32 out of 32 miles or kilometers to Cottonville. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Andrew? Yeah, so I will definitely I definitely admire the 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 the, the details and the languages Eric has described. I was thrown off in this piece by the and it, I think it's a given considering the stream of consciousness that we that are the stream of consciousness uh, technique that you employed in it. But I struggled with the transitions in this piece because it just cuts into these moments in Raleigh's head. I found myself getting lost, um, especially near the end. And another thing that Eric mentioned earlier was the darkness of Raleigh, which really threw me off, in that it was different from the piece, but also there was a darkness that I didn't... I wasn't entirely sure if it, like, it just really threw me off in terms of the balance of the piece. Um, How truly pained she was by these things um, compared to the action of the story like in the with the kids on the road just kind of threw me off um perhaps that again is just my perspective having read this piece and that as eric said raleigh isn't as as troubled or at least not as she's like a week away from being batman here i get it yeah she's, (laughs) she's pretty intense in this um there's some pretty uh scary moments um with her mind where I thought even that she was going to do something violent and that threw me off. Um, and I will, I will say that the end completely confused me. I'm not really sure what happened at the end of the piece, um, in that moment. So there was some of that stream of conscious stuff that I felt was a little jagged and could have used a little bit more polishing in terms of your transitions in those moments. But I will say that it was very well balanced by the honesty in some of these these pieces and just the, the details and the use of language that as Eric has pointed out. Um, and you nailed both of my bonus points, so you get those. Yeehaw. So I'm going to say that you... Oh, gosh, what? I haven't even thought of a metric. Maybe just uh, cats. Just so many uh, cats. No, no. I'm going to give you uh, five so. out of seven evil exes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott Pilgrim reference. There you go. So I actually do have a note uh, that I, I think it's interesting that you brought up the rough transitions with the two different types of storytelling here. And I agree. And part of that that I just wanted to note for how it was written, uh, neither of you mentioned this, but all of the bits where it was kind of a flashback or in her head were written in the present tense, Mm. whereas everything else was past tense. So that was one of the styles that I did to make a differentiator. Cool. It's funny because it's really... It like I said the the it's so similar to source material because all the stuff in her head is first person in the book that uh, showing the what's happening like the action as a past tense sort of sort of prose fits right in there so I didn't even think about it because to me you were just matching the style of the of the graphic novel yeah so it's not something I'm trying to defend it just as a writing exercise that was one of the techniques I used was doing different tenses to separate those. And then I also, uh, in the prose of it, those are all separated and italicized. So it would probably be clearer to read it, where you can see distinctly when we are switching. Whereas my performance, maybe not having had as much time with the voices, isn't going to differentiate that as much. Well, why didn't you just italicize it in the uh, in the performance? Did you not notice <laughs> me leaning? That's <laughs> <laughs> how you italicize right? Exactly. Yeah, uh, in your performance, yes. Beautiful. So, excellent. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for the feedback. Thanks for listening. Thanks for this pitch for the last ever sham fiction. Uh, nope. That's not, right. That's not right. true. Nope. This is last, not true last at all. Last normal episode. It's, it's the last episode for the year. 
Because next week it'll be 20 ot 17. That's true. <laughs> That's 20,017. 20 yeah. What? <laughs> I just have a feeling that, that next year our listeners are in for a little something different. Maybe just uh, mixing up the format. Maybe we'll have a brand new show for them, perhaps. I completely don't understand. Oh, you're <laughs> in do for I can tone this. So I'm going to get us back on track. If you guys want to read Lost at Sea, uh, find it at a bookstore. And this has been Andrew Neal for Champ Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so That's let's end the show right now. See you on the trail, partners. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't get the dredge of pure energy. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey everybody, it's Eric. Uh, Sham Fiction Editor's Note, uh, happy 2017. We made it. We got through 2016. Congratulations. And now that we're in a new year, uh, we figured time for a new show. So so next week, you know, tune in. We'll have a, a totally brand new, 100% original, not at all like Sham Fiction show for you. It just completely, completely new territory here. Uh, we are We are explorers in the jungles of podcast wilderness um so you know jo- join us you know maybe you know maybe this is mostly just to piss andrew off when he listens to it uh because he might argue that it's the same show i however and marcus would like to tell you that it will be completely new i hope we see you next week <laughs>